When I was assigned to preach this Sunday, I saw the text of Nicodemus, and it had a complete flashback 49 years ago, believe it or not. I was in a class, a small class in our library at seminary, and there were, I think, 11 or 12 of us. Dr. Pearson Parker was our professor. And it was an exegesis class where you look at the Greek, you study the Greek in the forms, you try to translate your own self from the Greek to the English, and then you seek out people who have exegetical passages and understandings of the passage to verify what your interpretation is. It's quite a lengthy and arduous task. Dr. Parker was extremely gifted. He was born in China to a missionary. He spoke, I think, 13 languages, read nine fluently. When he preached at General Seminary, he preached from the Greek text as though it were written in English. Quite a powerful command of the language and a wonderfully sensitive person, or so we thought. One of my classmates, who was sort of the person that liberated us out of our depression, through humor, one day, of course, the dean at our our seminary at the time was very concerned about maintaining a liturgy that was of the people, and he came from a very high church, but had banned incense in our chapel. Well, Bob thought this wasn't very good sharing of the overall Anglican views of faith. So word went around campus and in the clothes across the street about being sure that you attended the 7 a.m. service the next morning, which is not my cup of tea, but because everyone seemed to be motivated, I went over and there was this huge group of people outside the chapel. And we had brass doors, beautiful, you know, green brass, faded brass doors, and they were shut. First time I'd ever seen the chapel doors shut. And Bob walked up and he pulled open the doors and incense just flew out of it like it was on fire. We walked in and everything else, and we sat down to pray and Bob White just beamed, and the dean walked in and walked out. There was a great bit of dialogue, as it were, with our dean after that. But Bob thought, well, you know, this is just something, another way of expressing our faith. He was also the one sought during our fire drill. We had chimes. They paid people. They had a chimer's guild. And they went up and they grabbed the chimes so that it made this awful noise. And I was in the apartments across the street, heard the clanging of our chimes, came across. And it was a fire drill on our campus. And Bob came running from the back part of the campus with a white helmet from the fire department, a full white, full black raincoat, boots up over his knees so he almost tripped, carrying a bucket out like this, that was smoking and smoldering. He put it out in front of the chapel. We all gathered there. 
He brought a bucket of water from the bushes, dumped it out. It's over! Go back to your dorms. He was also the one that had this wonderful relationship with our history professor who was extremely Anglican. And at 7 a.m. in the morning before breakfast appeared at at our seminary close, he knocked on the door and Dr. Bosher would open in his bathrobe and Bob would incense him so he could start the day in a proper fashion. So this is the kind of person that was sitting in our small class of exegesis. And I struggled to write a paper of nine to ten pages, which was the minimum requirement for the class. And Bob came and handed out copies of his paper, which was 28 pages. And I immediately felt intimidated because obviously Bob was going to be the best student in the class with such writing. However, he had chosen as his topic theme on the front page, Big Nick's Put Down or, huh? Well, Dr. Parker did not enjoy the fact that this was a humorous way of presenting his case. There was a lot of tension in the class. And Bob really actually, for the first time I'd ever seen him, was sort of out of sorts. He had never anticipated the reaction. So when we finished the class, Dr. Parker reminded us, in the future, all papers will be based upon serious, downright, thoughtful research. But nonetheless, I enjoyed the paper because instead of having all of these ibits and names and footnotes about various people that he'd got, he had Rabbi so-and-so talking about this and Rabbi so-and-so. So it was a dialogue paper, and it was wonderful. And it gave us a good insight, actually, through humor, to Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus, to me, was a person that is very, it's very clear. There's three mentions of Nicodemus, and only in the Gospel of John. And one, of course, is this nighttime meeting with Nicodemus. And it's important to realize that in the Bible, it says, at night. You're less conspicuous as a Jewish Pharisee of the Sanhedrin if you're talking to someone who is not seen in good light by that group at night. The second time is when, in fact, they are trying to arrest Jesus. The Pharisees send out the temple police to arrest Jesus, and they get buffooned by Jesus' response to them. They come back empty-handed. And the Pharisees are very upset. And... Nicodemus was said, does our law, he asked them, permit us to pass judgment on a man unless he will have first given him a hearing and learn the facts? To pass judgment means that you have to have a hearing and you have to have the facts. So this is the second part where they immediately respond to him and say, are you a Galilean? There's no prophet that comes from Galilee. It's interesting, the obfuscation of their response to him. 
It wasn't about their law, and it wasn't about the necessity they sit down and actually hear before they pass judgment and understand the facts. The third time, this is the one that I missed for a long time, was when Jesus is in fact going to be entombed and Joseph of Arimathea gives over his tomb for Jesus' burial. And Nicodemus appears with embalming oil, a hundred weight, which shows that this person was of wealth and importance, this Nicodemus. So here we have this character, this person that enters this gospel story for us today. And the interesting part to me is that there is, in fact, a sense that Nicodemus, knowing his faith, his laws, the rules of his religion, was asking a very focused question because Jesus was doing things that showed God's presence. But he needed to know from the point of view of the nature of God's presence in our world, how this was done. But Jesus confuses him and asks him the questions that sort of remind him, can I be reborn again? My mother's womb? That's ridiculous. What Jesus is pointing out to him and to all of us is that often we ask our questions about faith in a way that we want something that is spelled out that we can understand, we can grasp and control. And Jesus was saying, it's not about the physical world. It's not about how we understand how the wind blows, but we don't know where it's coming from. But there's something that we will not know And this is the spirit. And the interesting part is, I'm sure all of you know that the word from spirit comes from ruach, which is the Hebrew for breath. Our very breath and the breath of others is allowing the spirit to be present. So Jesus is reminding Nicodemus, the scholar, that it's not about things that you control. It's not about things that you can understand. It's about opening your heart and mind to the transcendence of God in the spirit and the powerful spirit of love. Now, this is important for us because in the second Sunday of Lent, as we prepare ourselves to understand better our own spiritual faith, to recognize that this is a lesson for all of us. It's so easy for us to want simple, direct answers to things that are right in front of us. And the problem with that is that when the Spirit intervenes, comes into our lives, it's going to shake us out of the knowledge that we're seeking into a sense of presence of God's love that is filled with grace and is given for no reason at all. Our struggle in our Lenten 
Faith is to acknowledge that we have our limits and to acknowledge them, not to be depressed about them, not to say somehow we're less than, but rather that they're just who we are. And if we can accept who we are and hear the call of Jesus to open our mind's eye to the power of the Spirit, that somehow this grace, somehow this thing will happen to us and be changed. In many ways, Bob White changed our environment at the seminary because there were so many difficult times and so many painful searches of our own, our own problems. And for some reason, he had the permanence of always pointing us to the direction of the Spirit. And his use of humor was to open us up to the fact that God really loves us so much that you can argue, you can debate, you can get into all of these things, but unless you give yourself over to humor, you can't see God's spirit present in our midst. He was a lifesaver in many ways for many of us. The unfortunate part is he died very young, but he was so powerful in giving us that sense of internal laughter that in many ways I feel my clown character opened that avenue back up for me to actually allow God's presence, God's spirit to be seen. So this Lent, as we look at our way of opening our door of faith in our hearts, in our minds, to get past all those things that we need to have done, performed, correct, and all that, that we can open ourselves to this expansive spirit that will, in fact, give us hope and give us peace. One of the things that I mentioned before, and I, I, I urge you, when you're preparing for Sunday services and you want to look at the lessons ahead of time, St. John's has a list of the sermons that are preached, but also of the scripture lessons. There's some wonderful narrative for us to pursue our faith this Lenten period through the summaries and through the recommendations for looking at it. And I found in this week's passage, there's a quote from Julia Cameron, and the book is called The Artist Way. I am too I am too old is an evasive tact. It is always used to avoid facing fear. When Nicodemus said, how can I be reborn through the mother's womb again? It was evasive because his fear about knowing things and having a clear understanding was a problem that he could not face. And Jesus, by saying that you have to be born from above, was simply opening him back up to the spirit, which is part of the tradition of Judaism and Christianity and faith. And I think this is a real important kind of look because many of us sometimes feel we're too old to make changes. The only change we need to make in our age that defies the fear that we have 
It is to seek God's spirit and presence in our hearts and minds. And to trust that when we've done that, we're not only not older, but we're renewed. And we find the repentance of faith to turn around and allow God to move us in directions we never thought possible before. We're never too old. We are always open to the Spirit of God. And as we open our hearts and minds, we will exhibit being the body of Christ in our world. Amen.